The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Takecast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. You can find him on Twitter, at PFF underscore Eric. And we have a, a long conversation about the game of football in 2020. Eric's job at PFF is as a data scientists. We talk a lot about what Pro Football Focus is doing. We talk a lot about what is going on in Eric's job, how we you know, found the role of data scientists at PFF, and some of the really cool things that PFF has done throughout the years with data science and football, You know, talking about play calling, talking about how they evaluate positions that are really difficult to evaluate, and uh, you know, pretty much all of the relevant data science topics. And then also Eric and I are both Chiefs fans, so we lament the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire selection a little bit and then talk about you know, McCall Hardman versus a lot of the other great wide receivers from the 2019 class. I think that this was a, a really interesting conversation. I really enjoyed what Eric had to say, and I think that you guys will like it as well. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can find bonus episodes on patreon.com slash takecast, and you can also just leave a rating or review on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. That is useful and helpful as well. Now let's get into the show. All right, everyone, welcoming in Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. Uh, very excited to have him on the show. We're going to get into lots of uh, really cool football stuff that, uh, you know, if you're if you're if your team watch the tape, maybe you uh, maybe you won't enjoy it. Eric, how you doing? <laughs> and uh, of course, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a great podcast. It's uh, an honor to be on. All right. So I was, uh, you know, I was doing my my mandatory pre-show research and I saw that you were a graduate of Nebraska, and I'm I'm a lot like lifelong Oklahoma Sooners college <laughs> football fan. So first off, I guess I should ask: Are you a fan of the Big Red, or did you just go to UNL out of convenience? I you know I grew up in Minnesota. I I wouldn't say I'm a Gopher okay. fan, and especially since I bet on them last week against Michigan. I think I'm Tough. probably not going to be a Gopher fan for a long time. Um, but I, I went to graduate school in Lincoln, and while some of my cohorts, you know, certainly turned over, I, I just I, I couldn't match their intensity. I wasn't much of a college football fan to begin with, and they were way too hardcore. So I honestly, I've only been to one Nebraska football game, and it was after I graduated, just a couple of years ago after I started working for PFF. So I'm not the biggest fan in the world. 
Well, this is a very controversial take, but college football is not good. That's like the, the interesting thing about college football is that many of the games are not good. So if you don't have that regional or like personal attachment, it's actually like I found it very hard to care about college football. It's like the Sooners are, I think, two and three. I don't even care because they're so bad. I don't even watch. I just don't even watch on Saturdays. Yeah, there are some – like, I think, like, college DFS is an interesting game, you know, yeah. compared to NFL. And, obviously, betting – and you know, I think betting college is more inefficient than betting NFL. So, there's there are those things. But, yeah, I mean, the, the thing about Nebraska that's so funny is when I was going there, I was in student government, and they were switching from the Big 12 to the Big 10. The Big 10. And, the, and, and every single decision was made basically like, hey, do we want to be a Big 10 institution, et cetera. And the idea now that they would be upset – that they have to quote unquote play the two best teams in the conference. The first two weeks is a complete slap in the face to everybody who, you know, who, who did the diligent right. work to make them into a big 10 team because they're just kind of a joke now. And, and it's, it's a, it's a huge fall from grace given that they won what three national titles in the nineties. Yeah. I mean, at least in the big 12, they were always relevant. And as long as they could beat Oklahoma, right. It's like literally as long as they would beat Oklahoma, they'd be eligible for the national championship. And now every year they just get, I mean, that Ohio state game, like there, there's, there can't be a Nebraska fan that exists that is like glad that they get to play Ohio state. Well, they were, they, you know, people said that they played well, you know, for them and they didn't even cover the spread, you know, it was 20, you know, I can't remember it was 21 or 22 points, but they, they like did actually play well for them and it is don't even cover the number against Ohio state. So that's sort of indicative of, of everything that's gone on there. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, whatever Nebraska good riddance. We don't, we don't miss you. We, I, do, I certainly do not miss, you know, watching whatever terrible running quarterback they have and then, you know, jamming him into the back of the line. So they, they didn't fit in with the big 12, but uh, so good riddance. Um, okay. So first time you've been on the show and, you know, generally with people who are on the show for the first time, I, I just love to get an idea of how you found your way into taking football really seriously. Cause you know, obviously a lot of us have very unique jobs, you know, I mean, there are probably, if I had to guess, there are probably less than 3,000 jobs in the United States where your, your job is literally just to take football super seriously all the time and think about it in a really critical way. So what is, what is the Eric Eager story from, from data science to pro football focus? Yeah, I've always been a, a fan. Yeah, I played in high school, played in college. Uh, you know, I kind of was disenchanted with the game for a little bit. I went to grad school, studied math at UNL, and then when I finished, I was a, I became a math professor at uh, a school in Wisconsin, and I was there for six years. And you know, I my 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 I was a mathematical biologist. I published papers, uh, you know, on on gene networks, on ecology, things like that. And about halfway through, I started. I was still watching football, playing fantasy. I was into that stuff. And PFF, I I had always figured, you know, I've been a Moneyball fan. I always figured that football had, you know, the same sort of like level of analysis and algorithms and things like that. And I, and, you know, but PFF, like it was honestly, this this is the story. This is where we are. PFF had a call on Twitter to see, you know, who wanted to, you know, work for PFF. And I gave an email and I figured, you know, having a math background, you know, I could get in right away. And, you know, I I started out just like watching games for them, uh, writing a little bit on the side. And then eventually, uh, you know, it became something where like I didn't have to watch games anymore. I could just, you know, sort of uh, build some predictive models. I started to realize there wasn't a whole lot that they were doing from the predictive side or from the, you know, there were some good fantasy writers there for sure. But even then, like there weren't like these like, you know, set it and forget it algorithms that they had. So then, you know, I started building those. And then in 2018, 
myself and, and George Shahuri were, were hired to sort of start the data science group at PFF. And, and since then, um, we've grown, you know, Kevin Cole, who I think is probably our most popular person in the, in the fantasy and gambling space. Like he, we hired him, we hired Timo Riske. Uh, we're starting to build a, a salary cap group. Um, and, and that's kind of where it is now. So it was kind of just a random thing. Like, and I, I always tell people it's really funny because like, I think if I joined PFF a year earlier, or a year later, I don't think that I would be in the position I am currently. So right. uh, it's kind of like everything. It's just luck and, you know, and uh, a little bit of a little bit of hard work for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, a great reminder that uh, a lot of the outcomes in life are are really just random and mm-hmm. luck based. And if you run hot, that's that's like if I if I had to choose one skill to have, it would definitely be running hot over yeah. over anything <laughs> else. Uh, what what position did you play in football? Uh, I was like a wide receiver in high school, and then I wasn't like athletic enough, I guess, to play wide receiver in college. So I moved to tight end, and so I was kind of like a H back tight end uh, player um, for two years. Yeah, I, I started for two years. Do you have a college football reference page? I don't. I played Division Two. I mean, I okay. I think if you Google my name, you probably like I made a an ESPN All Academic Team once, and like uh, so that, that might be the only thing that's left for my college career is like some random, uh, you know, reference to that back in the day. Yeah. I mean the college football reference page, that's when, you know, that's when, you know, someone uh, yeah. is, is legit. So what is, what is sort of your day to day like now with PFF? You know, what are some of the big projects that you guys are working on? Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of my job now is, is, you know, so I'm the director of R and D. So a lot of my job is to sort of look at, you know, to, to, you know, make sure that my group's problems are being solved, um, you know, relatively, um, you know, uh, on time and things like that. I do have my own projects. Um, so I would say, you know, part, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting blend. Some days I'm just coding from nine to five building yeah. uh, models and then trying to work with our, our uh, developers to get them into production. Some of my days like today is like mostly media. So I'll be on, I was just on with Bobby a bear, which is kind of surreal because I grew up watching him play, right. um, you know, just like that kind of stuff. Um, and then the other, and then, and then the other thing, like some days are just like making sure that all the stuff is on the site is, is, is good. So I, uh, like I built our fantasy projections. Like I have to make sure that like on Tuesday, those things are up and good. Uh, any gambling, you know, stuff we have, like I'll, I'll make sure that those, the lines make sense and stuff, props and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, it, it's kind of those three things. It's like research development and then also maintenance of, of old models and then, uh, media stuff. So you know, kind of as you have been at PFF, just like from the outside, it's, it sort of seems like the, you know, kind of the mission statement has changed. Like, well, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but for a long time, PFF was like a a consumer facing product. Like they would sell data to teams, but for the most part, it was, you know, a way to make people smarter about football. You know, people who just really liked the NFL and people who really liked college football and I guess, you know, kind of just from the outside, it seems now like there is much more intensive stuff that is in a way kind of being, if I, if I understand the agreements, right, it's like you guys have direct agreements with NFL teams and they're like, we want this data. We want to know answers to questions X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I would say so. I, I would say, you know, for the first part, I, you know, we were a data collection company for probably a decade and, 
um, you know, we were a little bit light on the analysis and, but we had, I think the best data set in the world. And, and so we, yeah. we sold that to teams and, you know, eventually we went from like three teams to half the teams. And now we've, we've had all 32 teams since, you know, the summer of 2017. Um, and then, you know, we, we, our college operation, we're about at 85 teams of the 130, a few, and then, you know, XFL, C, you know, CFL, uh, you know, we, and then FBS or FCS schools are, are starting to trickle in. So, you know, first came data provision and then eventually, yes, we, you know, and that's kind of where George and I cut our teeth was sort of like, we had a one project helping a team draft a player to replace a specific player. So we went through and, and said, okay, you know, let's, let's find out what type this player is and let's find a player who's cheap and of that type. And so then we built an entire system to do that now for every team. Um, and, you know, and then the draft came around now that we have, you know, years and years of college data. And so then we became more of an analysis team for the, the B2B, so the, the business to business side. And now since, you know, and I think, I think George Shahuri deserves a lot of credit. He transitioned more to the content side. Now I think we've done even be a better job of producing, you know, sort of written content and having our best people sort of not only producing stuff for the team side, but also producing stuff uh, for, for uh, the, the customers and people who just read the site for free uh, to do. So it's kind of been like a, a, a full circle thing. We were consumer, uh, you know, and, and the content, then, then B2B, and now a little bit more even on the consumer content side. What are, uh, I mean, what are some of the, the projects that you've done that have been like the most illuminating that you're like, I mean, to the draft stuff to me as someone who loves fantasy football and figuring out how good rookies are going to be, like that stuff is super fascinating. I, I wouldn't even, for, for an NFL team, without being able to, like on, on my end for fantasy football stuff, and I, do you play dynasty fantasy football? Uh, I don't, but I mean, I have before. I just, you sure. know, it, it's it, like, you know, I'm not nearly as into it as, you know, you guys are, um, you know, I, I, I play best ball and that kind of fun, you know, it's a little bit of DFS and stuff, but dynasty I'm, I'm, you know, I, I mostly do the, the, the college to pro projections mostly for, you know, team facing stuff. Exactly. You know, because the, the thing that, the thing that's interesting about football is it's so heterogeneous, right? Like, so, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm Tampa Bay and I'm running this defensive, you know, scheme, like my big board's going to look different than Kansas City's. And like right. when you, when you want and you have to be able to toggle these things to so say like, okay, well, you, we're going to blitz 50% of the time. I need guys who can play man coverage, you know, and, and I need guys. And so we have data on like how a guy's done in man, how a guy's done versus zone, you know, can you, you know, uh, man coverage is more stable year to year than zone coverage. So if I have a guy who's gonna if who's gonna play in a in a blitz heavy man scheme, I'm actually better able to predict how he's gonna do because the majority of his snaps are in more stable situations. Um, if I'm a team, let's say looking for a quarterback, and I'm gonna run 50% play action, well, play action passes like make quarterbacks better one, um, but they're more unstable. So that means I'm going to get a really noisy performance out of my rookie in year one. And you see about Baker Mayfield, like you see those guys yeah. where it's like, you know, he looks really good as a rookie, but how much of it is smoke and mirrors. And then, you know, so you, like being able to contextualize those things and like show, and this is why I think football is so much fun compared to other sports. It's like in baseball, there's one objective, really it's get on base, you know, hit home runs, strike guys out. And in football, it's, it's different objectives, you know, for different teams. And so each team's going to have a different big board and it's and each team's going to surprise us in, 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 because of that. 
So the reason why I brought that up and that is, and I, I have another thing to bring up related to that, but a big part of what we do in evaluating these rookie quarterbacks, these rookie running backs, you know, wide receivers, tight ends is the, the sort of the biggest input to all of this modeling is what does the NFL think of these guys that there just is such a high correlation between where a guy is drafted and you know, how, how many chances he's going to get, how well he's going to perform. Like that's just kind of one of the things that we know. So without that input of where a team is drafting him, right? Because that, that so much work goes in there. That is a data point that has just like, yep. like all the stuff that you guys are doing. So what is building a draft model like before the draft? Like kind of what are some of the inputs that you guys found to be most predictive for that stuff? Well, I mean, all of our prediction, all of our projections have draft position in them. So like in one way, like we'll, what we'll try to do is we'll take a, a kind of a collection of big boards and have the, and have like an, have like a, a noisy input as the guys like projected draft position. So like, it's, it's how you sort of avoid. So uh, Dustin crumbs, a quarterback for Kent state who grades yeah. extremely well. And even after you reduce, even after you adjust his play by play grading for how weak his opponents are, he still looks good. And so you, you have to, you have to put in there that like, okay, he's not a top 10 pick so that your numbers make some sense, but still he's going to look better than the average quarterback picked at 200 because he's better than the average quarterback picked at 200. So you kind of have to incorporate those things in there. Um, but you know, that, that's really a big thing and you can do a ton of things to help you out. So one of the things that we'll do is obviously use, look at betting market data. Another thing that we'll look at is, um, what's called like text analytics. So we'll actually le legitimately go through and codify, um, you know, so like Dane Brugler's, uh, you know, uh, pre-draft scouting reports, our right. own pre-draft scouting reports. And there's like a decent amount of data that you can glean from those that can like, can be a check on some of the things you think. So um, I'm trying to think of the the player, like, so Davion Taylor for Philadelphia was always one that like, in my model looked like a terrific linebacker, like a second round linebacker. And like some people had him as a fifth round linebacker or whatever. And Philly, who I like to think of as one of the smarter teams in the league, took him in the third round, which was kind of like a fun confirmation. But one of the things I thought was cool was in the text analytics, he like had cor you know, significant correlations with other linebackers who were really good. And so it was like, it was like a secondary check on my models to be like, okay, is there, is there a leakage here? Am I missing something with this guy versus you know, some of these other players who are more highly regarded, like say Kenneth Murray. So it's like, it's like, um, it's like deep machine learning, like, like how, uh, like all these, a, a new thing in like literary analysis now is like, you know, doing these machine learnings on, you know, yeah. on Shakespeare and all the great writers from the twenties and everything and, and learning stuff from that. And, you know, then of course we have the bots of like, uh, you watch the thousand hours of Olive Garden commercials. Yeah. And, uh, now I came up with a fake Olive Garden commercial. It's like, sort of that same kind of deep machine learning, but on figuring out what the film guys think, because that is, that is, you know, just like the, that is the football debate, right? Is that, uh, you know, the, the guys who know the game, who watch the guys on tape, they know more than the pencil pushers. And that textual analysis is like a way to codify, or at least like put um, an objective number or grade on what the film guys think. Yeah. And that's like, if you, you know, you read the book Astro Ball, like I know they cheated and everything, but there was a ton of great ideas in that book about like how to, so the scouts like notes, like some of these teams like are eliminating scouting altogether. I know, you know, we live in Cincinnati, the Bengals have like four scouts, right. And they either just yeah. use our data or 
um, you know, just like random opinions. A lot of a lot of teams use these these big boards that some of the media members make, et cetera. But um, but you know what you should be doing is using the scouts' information and you know telling them don't change a thing. You're an expert, and then going through and there's like legitimate ways in which you can say, okay, this particular person overweighs linebackers who have this trait. Okay, well his seven out of ten is really like a six point two out of ten, and then you sort of like let the thing shake out. Um, but you're right. I mean, and, and the thing about PFF that I think people don't realize sometimes is that like the guys that are grading our games are like human beings watching them who I think, you know, we saw yesterday on Twitter, like Brian Burke, who I think is one of the best people, you know, especially historically in football analytics built a model off NGS data that like had Aaron Donald being like a below average run defender and like people are going back and saying, well, this is actually not how you fit the run in this circumstance and everything. Like our graders know that. So I do think like we some, in some ways bridge the gap between the film watchers and the analytics people. But even then, like there's some things obviously that, you know, that we might miss that, that somebody who just grinds film would understand more. So it, it's really about taking all those informa- pieces of information and weighing them properly. Well, and really part of the the very difficult, uh, like the most difficult element of figuring out who is good at football and who is not is you don't actually know the assignments on any given play. And I, I think that that's probably like an overblown concern, like maybe a little bit of a straw man from the side of the, you know, the people who are in PFF's mentions, like arguing about quarterback grades when their quarterback doesn't get graded high enough. Like just the idea that you can't grade a play or you can't acknowledge how good or how bad someone is because you don't know what they were specifically assigned to do on an average play. I mean, it, it sounds like some of this textual analysis stuff. And then, well, how many guys do you have grading every game? I assume it's three or four people. I mean, we have 15 per- people per game doing various things. Um, so, and two graders with a reviewer, the, 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 the comeback always to the whole, he doesn't know the assignment is that like, if that were a prohibitive thing, then teams couldn't evaluate other teams, free agents. Yeah. They couldn't couldn't watch other. Yeah, exactly. Teams couldn't, teams couldn't draft other teams players. And we know that that isn't the case. Now, I think one cool thing about PFF is every single, I think fair criticism of us, we've gone to a decent length of trying to overcome. So for quarterbacks, we hired Zach Robinson to, you know, former NFL quarterback to be our, you know, to double check every single quarterback grade. So uh, that, you know, and then he got the quarterback job with the Rams last year and we got Bruce Gradkowski to do the same thing. And those guys, like they sharpened my understanding of the game, uh, you know, immensely. Like I, there was a conversation I had with Zach once where I said, you know, like we were, this was back early stages of running backs don't matter. And I'm like, I'm like, why, why, why would you run the ball? Like you get a big gain and why would you run the ball in the next play? Right. It always seems like just a negative EV move. To yeah. Get it's a just, you're yard. so tilted watching your TV, yeah. like 37 yard pass to CD lamb, Ezekiel yeah. Elliott off tackle for one yard. And Zach, Zach told me, he's like, look, I just need a break sometimes. Like I just need to go up there and say red, right, 22 break. And then hand the ball off, regather yourself. And you realize like, that's probably true. Right. And, and we yeah. do tons of things in the, like, I think of running, like I think of sleep. I think, you know, eight hour, it's a third of your day, right. It's probably, it's positive EV, but you're not being that productive. And like, it's not, you know, if you could be awake for 24 straight hours, it'd obviously be better, but you can't. Right. So then you, you, you sleep for eight out of 24 hours usually. 
And I think running the ball is sort of similar in that, like, you know, you, you do it to sort of like, you know, either help the quarterback out or to be less, you know, to be less predictable. I don't think a third of the time is probably the optimal. I think it's probably more like 20%, but it really like, it does help in sort of a moderating effect to ask people who like have, you know, deep experience with the game, like, why is it being played this way? And I think that that sort of splits the difference between, you know, people like us who I think really understand the game, but there might be just things we're missing and it kind of moderates us a little bit. And I think we get to the right answer more quickly. I've, uh, I've also been told by NFL players that offensive linemen like greatly prefer run blocking to pass blocking because they get to be like the attackers, like they get to create the space and like the center's job on a pass play is so brutal. Cause like they have to check the protection. They have to, obviously they have to be paying attention so they don't fall start and send everyone off. Cause like, I'm just thinking about how many things a center has to do and then they have to sit up and react and block. Like that's a very difficult job and asking a center to do that, you know, 50 times in a game, it's a lot. Yeah. And the, the hard part about running is that I think it's like a, a, a delicacy for football people. It, it's like <laughs> for yeah. everything to, for, for like a, a trap play to work, like all of the 11, well, all the five offensive linemen, tight end and running back have to do the right thing. And like the fragility of something like that is so immense, right? And it's why we don't, it's why we can watch the Falcons and Lions game. And that game, both quarterbacks throw for 340 yards, the game goes under because they, they simply, like neither one of those teams is good enough to block up a run play on early downs, right? Whereas in the passing game, the quarterback controls a lot more, uh, uh, you know, and you can, you, can get what, you can get your left tackle's ass kicked and still get the ball out quickly and sometimes have success. And that's almost never the case in the run game. You know, almost never see somebody on the point of attack get beat and the run play still work. Yeah, that, that, like, that like never happens. I also I wanted to go back to one thing we were just talking about like 10 minutes ago about teams having different grades on players. And like I, I know a lot about football, but I don't know enough to like grade out linebackers versus edges and everything, cause, partly because I don't really care. But I, I just have been seeing this one super specific opinion on Twitter that I have not – had time to take umbrage with, and I just want to do it right now. There are a lot of people who are like, oh, imagine if the Chiefs took DK Metcalf instead of McCole Hardman. And first off, I mean, sure, Metcalf would still be good, but Hardman is literally like the perfect fit for that team and the perfect fit for Mahomes. And I also think that Hardman would be like uh, out of the league by now if he was on the Seahawks, like he because he just wouldn't have worked there. He's not a good run blocker. Uh, not even really a great route runner either. He runs laterally really fastly and runs uh, nine routes really fast. But like, I just, I did just, I wanted to just bring that up because it's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Well, and as, you know, as a, as a Chiefs fan, I, w- I was pretty like, I, I thought like, I, I thought it was a bad pick at the time that I thought that the Chiefs were going to trade Chris Jones and pick 32 to move up and get Henry Ruggs. Cause Henry Ruggs is just like a better version of Nicole Hardman, isn't he? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. low, you know, toolsy, but low volume in college and perfect fit for their offense and stuff. Yeah. And the, the, the other thing is like, there, there are circumstances that, that mitigate a lot of these things. Like people, people talk about Sammy Watkins as if he's like, you know, some sort of like bust, but the fact of the matter is, is he fits that offense perfectly. And if you ignore his contract, which you can, when your quarterback is a rookie on a rookie contract, yeah then he's he's perfectly fine and he came up huge in the playoffs for them so like i don't know i i get i get irritated I mean, at the 
at look at things. how bad look at how bad they've been ypa with Watkins off the field versus on the field like i don't even like sammy Watkins back to 2014 when he was a prospect and he got yeah. drafted over a bunch of guys that i thought were great but like because tyreek is not a real alpha wide receiver tyreek is just like uh the best possible version ever of devry henderson we're like he's an amazing <laughs> like that's great He's amazing running down the field. He's actually, you wouldn't think it because he's what, like 5'10", but he's actually a really good red zone wide receiver. But he doesn't like run really great post routes. Like he he, he can't run block at all. He always has bad run blocking grades. Like Watkins is the real like alpha wide receiver in that offense, which is interesting, I think. Yeah, and Kevin Clark said this when we were at the Super Bowl. I thought it was great. It was like watching a Metallica game, Metallica uh you know, song where like each of the individual band members got a, a, a solo at each time. And it's yeah. like the Chiefs offense is like that way, right? Where, you know, in the, in the Houston game, it's a, it's a Travis Kelsey game. And in the AFC title game, it's a Sammy Watkins game. And in the Super Bowl, it's a Damian Williams game. And like, what I think is really great about that offense is none of those players like throws a, like, you know, growing up, in Minnesota watching the Vikings if like Randy Moss or Chris Carter had like one catch for seven yards in a game like they just bitch about it for an entire week and (laughs) and like that's prohibitive for I think you can be a good offense doing that I don't think you can be the best offense doing that and what I think was really great about Kansas City is like like if if Hardman goes all four years and produces the way that he's produced over the last you know 25 games and he doesn't get a second contract and he moves on the way that Chris Conley did, like, are we really going to be all that upset about that draft pick? Not really, because the offense hummed the whole time he was there, right? And that was that's really the he point of drafting job, receivers. Yeah. Like, people think about this weirdly. Um, you know, you think about um, – I'm trying to think of a pick. Like, so the Cleveland drafts Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett's amazing. He, he does everything right, all this kind of stuff. They've won jack with him, right? Yeah, Why? nothing. Because you don't draft players, you draft wins. And, and like these, Khalil Mack has been a, amazing with the Bears. But how much does that really move the need? How much has their franchise moved forward since trading him? None. They're in fact probably worse off. Uh, They're worse because they, well, they build on defense, right? And build it yeah. like we know that building on defense is bad because one, defensive injuries have more of an impact than offensive injuries. And two, defensive production is just way less sticky year over year. So you Correct. build you build a defense. Yeah, it's like so, it's not good. So so Hardman is like a Hardman Hardman's point two wins above replacement is helping the Chiefs get from eleven and a half wins to eleven point seven wins, which increases their chance of the two seed or the one seed hugely, right? And then that helps them win the Super Bowl, whereas Khalil Max half a win above replacement gets the Bears from seven wins to seven and a half wins, and that doesn't matter. Like and so, you know, I think about these draft picks and people are going to be like, they're not trophies. Like, who cares? They're, they're a part of a group that has to win a Super Bowl. And ultimately, like, he has been part of a group that's won a Super Bowl. So I don't – I have no issue with his draft pick, frankly. How much would the Chiefs pay right now to would – they, would they just give up their first round? Would they, would they trade Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to have Damian back and active right now? I think they would. I think that – I think they miss Damian so bad. And the offense has been fine because Mahomes is incredible. But, I mean, their early down success rate has completely cratered. They look way worse in the red zone. They're, they're, they're scoring in the red zone. Literally, it looks like Matt Nagy trying to score with Mitch Trubisky as his quarterback. Like, we have these jet sweeps. We have, like, Patrick Mahomes running. Like, 
they are the the Chiefs for the first time in the Mahomes era look like a team that is having to try on offense. And I got to be honest, it's like very frustrating to watch because it didn't have to be this way. I'm going to talk you off a ledge a little bit here. Okay, so, please. So I do this thing where I, I study scheme similarity. And basically I look at like, you know, how many, how many different personnel groups a team uses, how many different run concepts does a team use, how often do they uh, throw this route, throw that route, all this stuff, how often do they use motion. And there is a ton of evidence in the data that Andy Reid keeps his best for the big games. And, and in yeah, 28 – I buy 20, that. And in 2018, his scheme uniqueness was like the top in the league. 2018, where you have to break in a new quarterback, you have to convince – it's not clear that he's brilliant yet, all this kind of stuff, he's up top. That number plateaued in 20, 2019 week three. What was that? Baltimore, right? They go and they beat Baltimore at home. And then what that, that – the rest of the season, what? They played the AFC South. They played the NFC North. A bunch of games where, you know, whatever. Who gives a crap? It got all the way down to a trough. And then in the playoffs, it spiked back up again, right? Because he had to win those games, his legacy, et cetera. This season's the exact same thing. I mean, he pulled out all the stops against Baltimore, and they were amazing in that game. And after that game, I mean, you look at the, the, the Las Vegas game. They were, you know, more or less just running a straight-up offense, right? And it caught them, right? They were not prepared for Cleland Farrell to have nine pressures and all this kind of stuff. And then they go to they go to Buffalo. Buffalo just runs too high the whole game, and they just run the football on them for like 200 yards, and it's whatever. You and I are not impressed because who cares? Like you know, who that, cares, that's right. not sustainable. And then last week against Denver, sort of the same thing. I I'm not nearly as concerned about Kansas City as as I I would have been had I not looked at this one narrative, which is actually supported by data, which is that Andy Reid only place you know Andy Reid's gonna put up a pretty good game plan against New Orleans and Tampa I'll just say that well I mean I hope so it'd be brutal to watch it would be brutal to watch Patrick Mahomes lose to Tom Brady um the I guess the so if I want to still be on this ledge a little bit I'm also a little bit worried that this Le'Veon Bell signing is another another death well just like more more running on first down more more like trying to force the ball to running backs like it's just uh it just I don't know it it see I guess this is something that really good teams do and NFL personnel people still believe that like running backs matter and that you need them to succeed so that argument I don't think will ever be one but it it, I do not like the Le'Veon Bell signing that was always the the hardest part to swallow about the Clyde Edwards Alaire draft pick was not necessarily that he sucks or that any you know it was that they were going to feed him the ball to justify the, the this pick right and and to try to get you know some reward try to get a thousand yard back even though it's clear that that doesn't matter. Um, I don't think they view Bell that way though. I think they view Bell as somebody who can help them in the pass game as somebody in the red zone that can help them. And I sure hope they follow through with that because otherwise it would be tilting. I think to see that offense turn into like a, an also ran offense in the first year of Mahomes is a big deal because that, you know, I, I don't know if I can handle that, especially given, you know, there are only two wide receivers under contract. I believe after this year are Hardman and Hill, maybe Pringle too, but like, it's not that they're, they're not going to have an embarrassment of riches at the receiver position anymore after the season, given who they have to sign and how much space. Well, they, they passed over a lot of guys at 32. <laughs> I mean, they passed over, they passed over a lot of guys who look incredible thus far. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, I mean, obviously them getting lamb somehow would have been, I just like, I can't even, I can't even imagine, but you're right that that is sort of 
uh, a common Kansas City Chiefs opinion right now is that like, oh, well, it's fine that they took CEH because the defense is fine and they've actually been better than I thought that they would be this season. And yeah, where would a wide receiver play right now? But I mean, also like Demarcus Robinson can just play special teams and you could have been playing T Higgins or Michael Pittman or LaVisca Chenault or Brand, you know, Ayuk, whoever, like they, they could have done that very easily. They, yeah, they could have. And you know, the Chris Jones signing was fine, but I honestly would have hoped that they would have traded him uh, to move up and get a skill position player in, in the first round. Like I, I, it didn't have to be rugs. It could have been Lamb or Judy, but somebody like that, or even Justin Jefferson looks amazing in Minnesota. Like they, they, they certainly could have done something like that. That being said, like, my biggest fear for them is that they're going to their, – their general manager, who I think is generally speaking been okay at evaluating talent, is a trade-up guy, which I think is, the, is a big negative EV, like, long-term thing. They, they come out of the draft every year with only, like, four or five draft picks, and I don't know if that's going to be good long-term. Yeah, but, I mean, as, as Seattle has shown, it, do, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> like, Brett, like, Brett Beach and that organization can be bad at their jobs and they still might win, like, three more Super Bowls over the next decade. Like, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, the hard part of those, Seattle – when's the last time Seattle – this year they're a true Super Bowl contender, although I, I'm a little bit weaker on them. When's the last time they were a true Super Bowl contender? 14? Uh, I mean – I don't have great memory for that stuff because I am just like my mind is always so much in the middle of what's going on right now. But yeah, I mean, I would say they haven't. But also, I think you have to link that to the fact that they've been purposely playing bad on offense for a long time. And and they're not like like the whole we've always just wanted them to throw the ball 40 times a game. And they're and so maybe maybe in 2017, 2018, whatever, if they had just committed to this strategy earlier, what there was a year when they had. Percy Harvin, Doug Baldwin, and Jimmy Graham, right? Like that offense probably could have scored 35 points a game or whatever, and they just didn't. Yeah, the 2014 Super Bowl, they went into that game with no drafted wide receivers. And and they they tried to correct that mistake and and eventually – yeah, I agree with you. I don't. I don't think Andy Reid's ever going to become a bad play caller. So to the cheat, to no, to that he's point, so good. Yeah, to that point, like the Chiefs will probably always be a Super Bowl contender. I just, I, I would worry about them being like maybe less than the the. They should be the favorite every year from that year on out. And and I and I hope that you know none of the moves that they've made keep them from that. Yeah, I uh, I I hope so very much as well. Um, okay, from a from a math based perspective you know, what are some of the limitations that have frustrated you over the years? I mean, I, there has to be, you know, countless examples. I'm not any good at math, so I'm actually very interested for this answer. Uh, I would say, I mean, obviously not having the tracking data until recently has really, you know, we, now we have some of it publicly available. Getting to dig into that has been big. Coverage has always been something where I'll say coverage is more important than pass rush, but then I come back and say, coverage is really difficult to measure, right? The difficulty of measuring coverage is like me, the biggest, the most tilting thing about, uh, you know, analysis, because it's so, it's the most interesting thing in football. It's weak link. It's, it's fragile. Right. And cause like an offense gets to choose who they throw to. So I don't really Mm -hmm. care that you have Stefan Gilmore. I care about the other side, but then, you know, some teams do a better job of scheming space, uh, in coverage than other teams and then but at the same time like guys go like Xavier Rhodes goes from being the best player in the league at the position to like terrible to being decent again and it's and it, it, it's it's unlike any other position in that it's so unstable but it's so important it's like goalie and hockey right where it's the most important thing on that side of the ball but we have such a hard time of measuring 
what makes that player good. To me, that's like the biggest tilting thing. And it's one thing I, I const like I'm constantly thinking of projects for, for which I can better understand coverage uh, at the NFL and college level. That's, that is very interesting. And also kind of, as you were saying that I was thinking like, well, coverage is also a super small sample. I mean, elite cornerbacks might get targeted, what, 80 times, 90 times in a season. And if in, you know, one year they just run super hot, their hand gets, their hand gets there early. They break up a bunch of passes. They get to play Nick Foles twice. So they get some great pick sixes, you know, like even schedule stuff like that. And then, uh, and then they just run bad one year. They, the, a piece of turf at Soldier Field sticks up and they fall and they give up, you know, the first 70-yard touchdown of their career or whatever. Like, it, it's so, it would be so hard to determine sample size there. So a great example is James Bradbury, who played corner for the Panthers and for years had to play Julio twice, had to play Michael Thomas twice. Um, you know, had to play uh, Mike, Evans. Mike Evans twice. Yeah. And, yeah. and our grades for him are like, okay, but like, honestly, you know, it's still super hard to adjust for competition uh, that strongly. And then he goes to New York and now who are the quarterbacks okay. he's facing? I mean, he's been, he's been unbelievable. James yeah, Bradbury he, has. He's a, he's a stopper now. And it's like, okay, well, you probably have to go to the tracking data and look, okay, like what kind of separation is he giving up and how difficult is it to cover all these players and that kind of thing to really fully grasp how good he's been. Similarly, like take a guy like Tredavious White who plays in Buffalo, who is a zone corner more, more, more or less. And again, like you're saying, like if a quarterback doesn't see him in a zone and he drops back and gets a couple picks a year, that's really going to be good for him. And, and in another year, he might be banged up. Like injuries, I think, affect the cornerback position probably more than any other yeah. in terms of being able to move your hips and stuff, being able to react to things. Uh, and so you're right. There's so many extraneous factors that happen to a relatively small sample uh, of plays I mean they play a lot of snaps but they're they're not targeted all that much so it, it is and and you could be avoided all this stuff I mean it, it, there's so many different like uh, heterogeneities in that data set that it's just really hard to measure there's like it, it seems to me that there's a position like that in all sports um at least big you know big money sports like in soccer a, the, a big thing is no one knows how good any goalies are like it, it, it's a position that is just a complete black box to evaluate because uh, goalies, goalie is kind of goalie in soccer is kind of like a combination of cornerback and quarterback where like they're responsible for lots of decisions. If they make bad decisions, it looks terrible. Like they, they, it's like LOL terrible, but then also like they, they have all these response, like they just have so many responsibilities. And I've, I've heard, um, uh, like on the stats bomb podcast, they have a, a big database and it's actually very kind of similar to PFF and they're starting now their business to business of providing data for teams. And like one of their things is like this, this is so hard to do that. We're not even sure our data that we have on it is even pointing in the right direction. Yeah. Ted, and Ted's a really sharp guy, you know, who yeah, Ted, cut his, I was searching cut, for his name there, cut his uh, teeth in the, in the gambling space. So you know, he's a, yeah, and you know the part of the part of the data process, part of the becoming smarter is is that acknowledgement, right? That like, hey, we're we're collecting data, and we're trying our best, but you know there are like I'm pretty confident that our pass rush data tells you who's good and who's not. You know, like uh, it's stable year to year. You're talking about our squares near point five, which is crazy for sports. I and I actually have I've been working on a, a various different ways 
and different ways of measuring coverage yield different answers. So it, it's, it's, it's something that I, I'm, I'm not as confident about. Um, and, you know, when somebody's playing really well one year, like Quentin Dunbar was somebody who, you know, the, the, the Seahawks traded a fifth for him and everybody called Washington stupid because Dunbar had like a 90 grade that year. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, there is a number of reasons why maybe his grade was inflated. And what we've seen in Seattle is he's been kind of up and down, which, you know, again, uh, those are maybe, maybe the, the solution to coverage is just to throw numbers at the problem. Um, you know, draft, you know, Tampa Bay drafted four straight coverage players in 2018. That seems to have worked out for them, you know, um, because you just, it, you don't know which one they're going to be good. Uh, so you better take a lot of swings at it. Cause, and that's why maybe the NFL is sort of efficient in this way. It's why you see cornerback contracts are nowhere near as high as edge contracts. Yeah, because they don't like uh, there, and it's also a lot harder to translate. Like edge rushers, uh, it's like pretty clear what your job is, and it's very related to how physically like good you are, and yeah. less about like your mental acuity. And that's probably a little bit harder to translate, and and definitely a lot harder to scout. Okay, million dollar question: Is Josh Allen good? No, no caveats. Just is Josh Allen good? No. No. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I, okay, Josh Allen is like the souped up like iPhone 12 Pro Max version of like Jay Cutler where like Cutler could win games because he was willing to take chances and Allen adds the rushing upside that we think is like you'd, you'd rather have a quarterback who can run, especially in short yardage in the goal line yeah. than one who can't. Um, but my my guess is that over you know a decade of Josh Allen with the Bills, they're and they've already shown they'll just do whatever it takes to make him successful. They get all these super fast wide yeah. receivers, like that's all schemed around him succeeding. My guess is is that they pr- still probably are never even the one seed in the AFC. That just it it just is not he just is not quite accurate enough, and I don't think he quite has the decision making to ever do it. I I think the world of the Bills. Um, it's actually funny. The bills director of analytics wrote a, a stats textbook that I once taught out of, which is kind of funny. Like they, small world. they, they're a, uh, they're a well-run organization. Um, they do like, it's, it's the exact opposite of what the bears do with Trubisky. You're to a Trubisky with Nagy. They did so many creative things. They ran him. They ran the football with him. They got him weapons and Allen Robinson, you know, and he did great. And then in 2019, they're like, okay, now it's time to be a real quarterback. And he floundered. And Nagy, it looked as though Nagy was calling plays to prove a point that Trubisky sucked. And, like, and that's not how you win. And to yeah, that doesn't the, work. To the Bills' credit, and I said this about Dak, too. Part of, part of, the, part of the thing that makes him valuable is that he's, that he's a plus runner. Don't take that away from him. And the Bills know that if you take Allen's running away, like – the, the the downside of him, you know, the upside of him not getting hurt as much is completely eliminated by the downside of him not running because he's a positive. EV yeah, of him going 18 for 42, 220 yards, yeah. three interceptions. Like no so, one wants that. Yeah, exactly. So they know to win with him, they have to do everything in, give him everything and then pray he stays healthy. And that's, and, and anything short of that, you're not beating the chiefs anyway. So what are you doing? So um, so I, you know, I think you can win with him, but I think if you put him on another team, he's terrible. So, uh, good on the bills for really, you know, I think 
making him somewhat successful, you know, whether you look at their offensive success or whatever. Like, I think the Bills deserve a ton of credit. I think that, I think that seems fair. Like, I, I think that they could get to a conference championship probably like one or two times, but I don't know if like just imagining Josh Allen in those high leverage spots when Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson is going to be the opposing. Although maybe there's a conversation to be had about Lamar Jackson who like has looked terrible as a passer all year. I, I really thought that he would take a step. I thought, you know, they would be more accurate. I thought that uh, Miles Boykin would be more involved. They'd be playing less like, uh, you know, super heavy personnel yeah. with all the tight ends. And I don't know if it's because they haven't played a real game yet. Like they either got blown out by the chiefs or they've been winning by 10 points in all their games. But like, I'm actually maybe a little bit concerned now about Lamar Jackson on like a career trajectory because he got better as a passer last year, right? From 2018 to 2019, he big time improved, not just in his raw numbers, but like it, like all the film grinders said he looked better. All his PFF grades were better and everything, but that has not been the case this year. He really just looks like the same guy from the Titans playoff loss. Yeah. I, well, he's, he's really struggled out of empty and that's been, that's been, I think the hundred percent the, where the leak has been. The thing about them last year is I always said, you know, they needed a wide receiver in the draft to be sort of like an Anquan Bolden, you know, mm -hmm. like that, they, they Marquise Brown, you can win with him a little bit, but you need, I think some, I think quarterbacks that have accuracy issues really need a contested catch guy. And they don't have that guy on the outside. I mean, even, and you know, Andrews is not really, I think you were the one that tweeted it. Their offense gives Mark Andrews layups just all the time. He's wide open. He's just, <laughs> dude is literally just wide open. He's, it feels like all of his targets, he's literally not covered. Yeah. Um, I think the, I think there was legitimate fear that to me, there was legitimate fear that, that, uh, that Jackson had a knee issue. Like I, I, I heard that he needed it drained right before the Cincinnati game. His, his um, designed runs like went down monotonically from the Houston game in week two, all the way until like, he had like one designed run against Cincinnati, I think um, before he kind of went back up against Philadelphia. He has to, he has to evolve as a passer. And I think one of the things that, that the Ravens who I think are generally speaking very sharp, they need to get him more weapons on the outs. Like Willie Sneed plays snaps. Yeah, they like can't. A that's, that's a great point. Like, <laughs> they cannot be playing Willie Sneed and Nick Boyle and Patrick Ricard. And I mean, yeah. even Mark Ingram playing this many snaps is really a disaster because Mark Ingram is just not a threat to gain can chunk we, plays. And they need about how play. the two best teams in the AFC spent their first two draft picks on a linebacker and running back, both of them. Like, it's just, like the um, and and Patrick Queen's been great but like would he is he affected this team more than having like if they had Michael Pittman where would they be like just like an underneath player who can just make plays in the passing game in that 10 to 19 range like they I think their offense would be well know, they could, they actually they actually should have taken Chenault because Chenault yeah. could have played like out of the pistol and stuff with Lamar like how terrifying is you know, uh, Justice Hill or Gus Edwards, LaVisca Chenault, and Lamar Jackson in the backfield. Like, that's disgusting. That is not a package anyone wants to defend. Well, you say Gus, Gus Edwards is always good. I don't understand yeah, why everybody's trying to replace him. It's, it's unbelievable. It's uncanny. I, well, because he, he can't function as a pass catcher at all. Like, he has, he has nine targets in three seasons, or nine receptions in three seasons. But is, is that – that's just a feature of the Ravens' offense. Like, they don't throw to any backs. I, I actually – so this is actually my take on, like, the whole running backs don't matter or whatever. 
Well, for, and I think everyone agrees on this. Running backs who, like, are just bad, like, flat-out can't play, <laughs> that actually does matter. Like, you have to have running backs who can, yeah. like, gain Patrick, four yards. Earmuffs, but Patrick Laird can't. <laughs> How dare you, bro? He's a great, he's, gr- he's a great pass catcher, and he's a great pass blocker. But it sounds like he's a great human too. So I gotta, I gotta, he is I gotta, a great guy. I gotta watch my tongue there, but yeah. But what, and also what you can't have is, and the, and the Patriots actually tried to address this, I think by drafting um, Damian Harris is the, the idea that like, okay, we have a running back for run plays and we have a running back for pass plays. Like that it's like, just from like a game theory level, that's like one one. like this is so stupid to tell the defense you're like 70% to see a run here or you're like 80% to see a pass here like that. That's terrible. And like Gus Edwards is really good. He's always had great success rates and everything, but Gus Edwards is like the poster boy for that where it's like, if Gus Edwards is in the game, he's either going to get a handoff or it's going to be like a Lamar designed run. He's like only in there for running snaps. Right. I get, I'm surprised they've given jk dobbins 13 targets i that i would have bet the house on the under there but like, that's what he's that's what he's good at yeah so yeah i mean i'm i'm with you as well i think that the running game the hard part is is like like take a guy like mccaffrey i think like team like i said this and i got ripped for it but like the panthers offense is actually better without mccaffrey because they don't earmark they don't throw the four yard checkdowns all the time yeah, they don't earmark like if you give the ball to a running back naturally i feel like that's fine especially if he's good um if you if you say we're going to go into a game and give this guy this many carries a, as an earmark then it's 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 not great you know and um but yeah i i i would say that you know i this week is going to be an interesting week for the Ravens. I, you know, Pittsburgh did a really good job in Derrick Henry, mostly because the Titans refused to block TJ Watt on the backside of run plays. And he's so athletic that he was able to chase the play down when most edge players can't. Um, if Baltimore watches that film and I think they can trap TJ Watt into some, in, into giving Lamar Jackson the edge on those give plays. Um, and that I think that that might be something where people are overrating Pittsburgh's defense because they played one type of offense one week and are playing a different type of offense another week. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't even, I don't even get into the, like, I think defenses are either average, really bad or above average. Like it's so rare for defenses to really determine the outcome of games. Like, like I honestly don't even know when is the last time a team won a super, I guess, I guess the Patriots, won the Super Bowl because their defense was good, but it really wasn't even that good. It was just that Belichick was smarter than McVay. But generally speaking, teams do not win championships based on the strength of their defense anymore. Maybe they did in the 80s. I don't know. I think it's mostly a matchups thing. So, like, the Chiefs match up so much better with the Ravens defense than they do with, let's say, the Chargers defense uh, and the Niners defense. So, if you're going to – if you need five or six guys to get pressure – Patrick Mahomes is going to slay you because, you know, all of those receivers can beat man coverage and Mahomes isn't as affected by pressure as most quarterbacks. And so he can kind of where, where you can maybe beat the chiefs is if you can get at least a little bit of pressure with four four. and and play seven and force Mahomes to be patient. But even in that game against the chargers, what did he do? He just, he just ran and he just did, he just did Mahomes stuff, you know. Yeah, so. that's a new that's a new level to his game this year that I'm really and in the playoffs last year, like him being willing to break the pocket and just take ten yards 
Like that's huge because there, there's just no, like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna spy Patrick Mahomes. Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna give up a guy who literally is not rushing or in coverage to spy Mahomes. Like it's impossible. I, I was at the AFC championship game and the, the awe in which the, the crowd responded to his touchdown run at the end of the half was, you know, we all sort of knew he was good at throwing. Right. But then this, he just busts out this, like, you know, this crazy real run play where, yeah, it, it was, it was nuts. I mean, and I think, you know, Allen's a pretty good scrambler. I think he's obviously a better designed run guy. Lamar is good at both, but I think Mahomes might be the best scrambler in football. Like when, on design pass plays, he does a better job of picking up yardage than probably anybody when he decides to run. Uh, he's really good because he always takes a really efficient line. Herbert is really good at it too, though. Yeah. Because Her- yeah. well, Herbert is is a rookie and he doesn't know any better. So like he just is letting himself get tackled. He had that that touchdown run against the Jaguars where he don't. Luckily, he got out of the way, but he was about to get crunched in between two defenders, and that that would not have been um, a very good time for him. Okay, I want to I want to leave it with this. I think there is one running back in the NFL who would actually deserve a, a running back contract who like, you know, what, not, not the Elliot contract, like that, like that's absurd for many reasons, but like actually good money and you should pay him as opposed to just drafting some guy in the third round the next year. Who do you think it is? Kamara. Yeah, it's Kamara because Kamara is the best player in the NFL with the ball in his hands. I, I don't even know if it's close. Is I, DJ Moore maybe is the other guy, but he's I, obviously he's a wide receiver. But like, I, I think that Alvin Kamara gains enough yards per target on like, like I could make the throws. Like I could throw to Alvin <laughs> Kamara, I think an average like six yards a target because that's just what he does. Yeah. He, he's averaging 9.3 yards per catch after the catch. And, and I think a lot of that he's broken. So if you look at broken tackles forced on catches, this is going to be hilarious, but Mike Davis is leading the league in broken tackles forced on catches by running backs. Alvin Kamara is second at 14. And to show you that it's not just about breaking tackles, but it's also about what you can do after the catch. David Montgomery's third with 10. Um, you know, he just, you know, flops down after a yard or so after that. But um, Kamara is just amazing. Like this year he's had to catch every ball at the line of scrimmage and do something with it. But you know, he's also capable of going down the field a little bit. Um, and, and that's why he's like one of the few running backs who averages more, you know, positive yards per catch before the catch, because he actually is legitimately, you know, going on swing, you know, and going on wheel routes and things like that. He is great. And, um, you know, the Saints, I think, you know, deserve a decent amount of flack for how they've run their offense this year. But the way in which they've interchanged Murray and Kamara, like, I think that's the one saving grace for them this year is that they – uh, have been un- not predictable in how they've used those two players. To your point about the, you know, other teams that have a run back and a and a and a pass catching back, both of those guys, I think, have really done well for them this year. Yeah, uh, Latavius Murray, uh, a guy that uh, a lot of us nerdy fantasy players loved ever since. Like his, he was Latavius Murray. For those who haven't been in the fantasy football game that long, when he was a college player, he was like you know, 220 pounds, 4.440, perfect running back height, like just every, and he caught passes, he did everything. And it like never for real happened for him. Uh, what he was in Oakland and then he actually Minnesota. was in a, Minnesota. Yeah. And it never for real happened for him. So it's been, it, it has actually been cool to see him uh, succeed. He's always played Saints. for winners though, which is interesting, right? Like the 2016 yeah. Raiders had a good offense and he was a 
good piece of that. Obviously, 2017 Vikings. I mean, I always joke that uh, Latavius Murray has just as many uh, playoff victories as a starting running back with Minnesota as Adrian Peterson. As Adrian Peterson, yeah. Adrian Peterson is the classic guy I use to bring up for the running backs don't matter stuff because people just assume that because he was great for so long that those teams he played for were great, and they were not because they were just always dedicated to – well, and Peterson – this is actually the worst thing that running backs do. And it's why Kamara is really great because like Kamara's median run is like still actually good. Not just yeah. his, his mean run. But what you don't want is you don't want guys who get like the Leonard Fournette, right? One yard, one yard, one yard, one yard, negative three yards, 65 Eight. yards. Yeah. You don't, you don't want that. That's actually, that's terrible for you. Peterson was just like never played for that great of offenses because not only was he uh, a lot of negative yardage plays, he had a lot of fumbles, which part of running is the avoidance of turnover. You know, that's part of the upside. And with Peterson, especially in his best years, was a fumbler that hurt his team that way. And then secondarily, in the biggest games, like you look at the, the 2009 NFC Championship game, at the end of the game, Chester Taylor was the running back for the Vikings um, because they couldn't trust Peterson to, to pass, protect, or catch the ball. Um, so it, it was always... I always have mixed feelings about him because he was so good at what he did, but I don't ever think it translated into victories. And I, I had this thought experience. This was back 2012, you know, back when he was winning the MVP. I asked myself, I said, w- w- would the Packers be better or worse if he played on the Packers, you know, the, across the St. Croix River? And, and I, I came to the conclusion that the Packers would be worse because they'd have to slow their offense down to accommodate him. Yeah. Um, all right, man. There we go. This has been this has been great. This was uh, this was an awesome conversation. What are uh, what should we be looking forward to on PFF over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. Uh, my colleague George Shahuri and I have the PFF forecast. So after you're done listening to this great podcast, give ours a, a listen. Um, yeah, man, just, and rate you know, and review it. Rate and review all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I'm working on a project right now about nose tackles because I think. Uh, <laughs> I I'm I was really uh, that that Chiefs Bills game really got me thinking about sort of like if you're going to try to bait another team into running, how bad can you be at run defense for it to not work? Uh, and I think the Bills sort of crossed a threshold that I want to find. Um, so uh, that's something I've been thinking about for a long time. I know Bob Sutton used to always entice you know the playoff game against the Steelers. He let Le'Veon Bell run wild, and the Steelers scored 18 points, and it was like oh, that seems really brilliant. And then I, I've been sort of thinking about that for a long time. I want to pin down, actually, I think where the leak is in that strategy. All right. Well, there we go. Awesome stuff to look forward to. Follow Eric on Twitter. Listen to the PFF forecast. And we will be back next week. Build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital 360.